Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi gang, Sam here. Before we start this week's show, a reminder, my book, Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Out of the Bollocks, which is an Amazon bestseller, has just been released in paperback at a very reasonable 10.99. You can buy it now at Amazon or Waterstones or local bookshops or you can call up my local bookshop which is called barnesbookshop.com and they'll send you a signed and personally dedicated copy from me. Anyway, on with this week's show. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is Dave Wilson, a.k.a. Sober Dave. Dave grew up in South London and became a successful carpet fitter who found a bit of fame in his 40s as Dave the Carpet on ITV's 60 Minute Makeover show. But he struggled to balance his career and his relationships with his heavy drinking. He was an addict who says he was heading for death before a mate intervened in his late 40s to help him get sober. Now, he helps others do the same via his sober coaching business, his podcast, One for the Road, his book of the same name, and his massively popular Instagram profile, where he dishes out experience and wisdom to those who want to live a fulfilling, sober life. Dave is a brilliant talker with a powerful story to tell, and I was delighted to hear him tell it here on The Reset. I hope you enjoy listening. Dave, welcome to The Reset. Thanks for having me, mate. Real pleasure, mate. Uh, you're doing so much to help other people um, get sober and stay sober, which is extremely inspirational. But today I want to talk to you about your story um, and what your relationship was, with booze was throughout your life. How, how, did, how, how did your drinking story begin, mate? Well, it started back in... Uh sort of in the 70s because I was born in 64 and my mum and dad um, didn't have a lot of money 
back then we grew up in a kind of council house area and you know you'd walk to school and there'd be cars on bricks and stuff like that you know my dad was a lorry driver and my mum worked in a factory um and you know we had the basic needs like uh, good food you used to eat good dinners and that but secondhand clothes I went to a rough school um and then we moved because I noticed when I was sort of growing up into my early teens, my mum and dad were arguing a lot, you know, and you kind of ignore it a bit when you're that age, don't you? But mm. um, one day um, after we moved, I suppose for a few months, I had to start this secondary school in the second year. And it was a nightmare for me because I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I wasn't streetwise. I, I didn't mix with certain people you know I kept myself to myself and I used to stay indoors and do Lego and Meccano kits and stuff like that when they used to get the taps on the door like you coming out and I used to say to my dad um oh can you tell him I'm not well or something because I, I didn't know how to mix with people right yeah. but then one day I, I came downstairs and out of the blue there was a letter on the table addressed to me and I opened it up and it was from my mum and and it's basically a goodbye letter. Uh and, and it said, Dave, just to let you know I've I've left your dad. Um, I can't tell you where I am at the moment. And bear it in mind, Sam, back then there was no mobiles or anything like that, you know. Mm. Um and I literally had no clue what she had done, where she was, and she said, But I'd be in touch. And it I was like stunned. It's like what so my mum's not going to be here when I get him from school kind of thing but then a few weeks later my dad kind of announced me that he'd met someone else as well and she used to come around a lot and I didn't even know this woman so I used to sit in my bedroom upstairs and, and one day the heating packed up and I could hear him laughing downstairs and again didn't have mobiles where you're online on social media or playing games it was just sitting there with my record play you know and uh probably playing the Bee Gees or something terrible. <laughs> but anyway, I could hear them all laughing downstairs. So I thought, you know, they got a gas fire and I'm freezing my tits off here. So I went downstairs and um, she made it quite clear that uh, she didn't want me around. And I kind of looked at my dad to say, help me out here, dad. You know, like this is my house as well. And he, he walked into the kitchen. And I remember getting off my chair and, and slamming the door and walking up the road. And I just burst out crying because I, I was only 14, mm. you know. And as I say, I wasn't streetwise, didn't have loads of mates around me. But I felt rejected, isolated, lonely. Like I felt all the feels at that age, right? Mm. And it wasn't long after that that the lads that would knock on my door knocked on my door again. And I thought, you know what, I've got nothing to lose because I might as well. And they used to go up the shops in an area called Cast Shorten. And a lot of people know this area, actually, who listen to podcasts now. It's called the Circle in Cast Shorten, and there used to be a really dodgy pub up there. Where, where's where's Cast Shorten, mate? So Surrey, like um, right. Sutton, Cast Shorten, that kind of like yeah. way. And there was a pub called the St. Elia Arms. And they used to get some proper gangsters going in there, like Joey Pyle. Some bloke was murdered in the car park. It's proper gangland pub, you know. Yeah. And opposite the pub was an off-license, and we used to hang around there. And all the change you might have found down the side of the sofa or pinch out your dad's money pot or what, give to the adults, and they would buy you a couple of cans of Foster's. 
So me being like a bit wet around the ears, and they were all fighters as well, Sam. Like I hated fighting or anything like that. But all of a sudden, I'd have this beer, and it was like the magic solution for me. And all of a sudden, I started being a bit funny, and they were going, oh, you're well funny, you are, and that. And I thought, well, I'm I'm accepted now. This is me. I've grown up into a man, you know. And also, back then, you didn't need ID um, to go in a pub, and there's a pub there called the Skinner's Arms. They had their own darts team, pool table, proper old pub, you know. And we used to go in there, like, in a school uniform and get, get basically served. No one give a shit, really, you know. Mm. Mixing with the adults and that, you know, we'd get drunk on three pipes of castle main or something. <laughs> Silly <laughs> and that. But going, moving on from that, um, we used to go out. Uh, there's a place in Croydon called Sinatra's, and you'd pay 15 quid on the door, and you'd have free booze all night and free food. Like, it's a horrible wow. Butterf- a buffet with flies all over it and yeah. you know but it, it was a cheap night out and we used to go there but you know generally in the week it was didn't really drink you know yeah. it was at the weekend stuff and going through my 20s uh, I moved to my own flat and there was a little Young's pub there that my neighbour used to go to uh, and one day he said why don't you come down and meet the lads now, I was in the carpet game, you know, I, I was working hard then. And I walked in this uh, public bar. Um, it's called the Newtown in Sutton. And there was uh, Colin the Carburetor, Paul the Plumber. Like, all, all, we all had nicknames mm. of what, you know, obviously I become Dave the Carpet. But it was a real sort of sanctuary for the workmen. And we, mm. my excuse then was, you know, oh, I get work out of this pub, so it's paying for my drink and all that business. Yeah. Like the excuse, and it was in a way, you know, like we kept it in in family. And they, the the landlord's dad was a butcher, so on a Sunday there'd be a, a meat raffle, and you'd see people piss walking down the road at five o'clock with a leg of lamb on their shoulder and <laughs> stumbling home and that, you know. But then one day someone said to me, "You're an alcoholic, mate, because you're always pissed," mm. and it really like rocked me a little bit because I thought I was just like one of the lads. But when he said it to me, I I was taken aback a little bit. And I'm like quite a sensitive person. Well, I am. Mm. I'm really sensitive. And I really took it to art. So what I started doing then... How, how old were you then? Sorry to interrupt. 28, 30, yeah, around right, then. Okay, right. So I was, I was with my son's mum then. He was born when I was 30. And I... Sh- kind of struggle with it and it's I, I do have a difficult time saying this because my son's 30 now and and you know there are areas we haven't covered still mm-hmm. he's super proud of me by the way but you know mm-hmm. like at that period of time I was still getting pissed a lot and not coming home and in the end we separated when I was 32 so he was just two and what that did I went on a proper mission then of, well, I'm single again now and I can do what I want. And I was standing in the pub all day. I'll go there Sunday at midday when the doors were unbolted and I'd still be in there when they were like trying to lock up again in the Sunday night, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I would drink 14, 15 pints. Uh, and I, I developed an ankle glugs because I would drink really quickly. Yeah. Um, when, when this, guy said to me am i an alcoholic it was off the back of this breakup and 
a few flings with the barmaid and whatnot. And, you know, I then started buying takeaways from the off license because I thought I don't want to humiliate myself anymore by being always in the pub, people talking about me. Mm. So I started taking uh, beers home. Well, say beers, they were back in the day, Diamond White, you probably remember them. Because mm. they were on offer, like eight cans of Diamond White for f- four quid or something. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know what, I've got the best of both worlds here because I can go down the pub, see all my mates in that, then leave there looking all right, like I haven't got a problem, go home and drink eight cans of cider and get absolutely off my box and no one really going to know. And that's what I did for years. You know, I just mm. hid it away like that. But what, what happened then, Sam, was I started to put on weight. And, you know, I was quite vain back then. Um, and upon a couple of stone, cause I stopped doing things like playing football. You kind of get to an age where you get a couple of injuries and that, and it puts you off cause you're off work. I was self-employed mm. and I, I Googled what alcohol has the least calories, which is a nightmare to Google. Like yeah. don't do it. And up pop vodka. And it was around the time I was looking at moving as well. And, and I bought myself a little cottage back then, and I was 40 years old. So I'd had a good old spell of me drinking then, but it ramped up to a silly pace, you know. Um, back in then days, you could get three bottles of wine for for eight quid out of Asda's or something. I moved in this house, and it was a couple of three miles away from the pub, so I stopped going there. Um, all of a sudden, I'm drinking half a bottle of vodka indoors, which didn't even touch the sides. Because, you know, if somebody can drink 14 pints of lager, half a bottle of vodka is going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. So then I bought a vodka and realized actually a bottle. And I thought, that ain't going to do anything either. So I started buying liters and thinking, okay, but I'm not going to drink that. But at least I haven't got to worry about it running out. Yeah. You know how it goes. Within a month, I was drinking a liter. Right, and I wasn't going out. I was a recluse, so I w- I would um, finish work on purpose around three o'clock. So I was working for myself as a carpet fitter, like had my own business, and um, I would go to Tesco's with a trolley. I'll get the whole weekend's booze in, and then I'll park the van up, knowing I wouldn't get in it till Monday. And I'd shut the door, and I'd have party for one. And I'd have like my four pint cans of Stella and then get stuck into the vodka, pass out, knowing I ain't got to do anything the next day, drink midnight even, you know, Mm. after and finish a bottle of vodka, get up in the morning, start again midday maybe because the football was on and I thought, well, my mates would be down the pub now, so there's no one doing it. But what I did, Sam, my, my mental health, like, my anxiety and my stress levels and I got to a real low with it. And I started to wonder where this was taking me because I was blacking out. I was texting people ridiculous things. I was being really aggressive. Uh, I lost lots of friends by the things I said on social media. I'd be really controversial for attention Mm -hmm. because although I was, solitary drinking i was also bored and all because i I wasn't connecting with anyone so it was a lot of boredom um and i i'd I'd landed this job on telly um as a handyman you you've heard of um 
DIY SOS, right? Yeah. And they they contacted me to do a job in Kingston. And I did that and met them all there. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. And it was hard for me because the night before, I couldn't really drink. I thought, I can't turn up hungover. And they said to me, well, if you want to come back tomorrow, um, that we can do a bit more with a team. And the first thing I thought was, oh, I was going to get pissed tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, so yeah. I drank, but I, I didn't go over the top. And I went back the next day, and then I put it on my website and that. And about six months later, I got an email from ITV saying, um, we're looking for a carpet fitter on 60-minute makeover. Would you be interested in coming for an interview? Mm. Went for the interview, like, what is it, floor 14 or something in ITV on the South Bank, and there were yeah. three girls there um, interviewed me. And I come away from there, and I thought, oh, here's what it is. And I walked into Covent Garden, and I got a phone call about half past two, and it's Laura, and she said, Dave, um, thanks for coming along for the interview. And I thought she was going to say, but on this occasion, we've decided, mm. she went, we'd love you on the team. And again, I was thinking, fuck, how am I going to manage what I drink? Yeah, yeah. And on the Monday, I was driving up to Coventry to start the show. It was on the Sunday night. I had to meet everyone. They was all out on it. And I thought, oh, are they going to be like moderate and whatever, but luckily they weren't. Right. And I fitted in like a glove, you know, like literally it was mad. It was like pissed every night and, and stuff. But I'd become quite a ringleader because, you know, obviously I love a drink and that. So it's like, yeah, let's go clubbing. And yeah. we were getting at three in the morning to have to get up at half five to do the show, you know? Yeah. And, and this went on and on and on. And basically, that fizzled out. We, it was with Peter Andre and, um, you know, some mad nights and that. Um, and it got to a point, mate, that my health was so bad in the end, in my early 50s. I was in a relationship then. I was living with someone and the cracks were really showing in that relationship because I was hiding it. I was lying and, you know, saying I was down the shops when I was in the pub and hiding bottles of wine, bottles of vodka, um, them little miniatures, they were all over the place, like flower pots. And in the end, uh, I went to the doctors because I was so depressed. My mental health, when I say was shot, I, I was like almost suicidal thoughts, you know. I just didn't want to be around anymore. I was constantly depressed. Um, I... I was sacking off work left, right and centre because I couldn't handle it. It was like, not. I, I'm not saying like not going into work. I'd always go into work. But if I had estimates to do to get to work, I couldn't be bothered to wait until seven o'clock at night to go and do the estimate because I might finish at four. And I thought, what am I going to do for three hours when I could be drinking? Mm. So I would lose the job, basically. And it could be a couple of grand's worth of work, but I was losing it. So financially, I was struggling. But also my mental health. So I went to the doctors and I told him I was really depressed and anxious and that he didn't even ask me about drinking. He literally said, well, we can put you on antidepressants and whatnot. And at the time I was taking anything, you know, like I give something to me to stop me feeling like this way, not, Oh, well, mate, you really need to think about your drinking. Like yeah. that's the yeah. key element there. So he put me on antidepressants and they didn't work, but I was still drinking. But off the back of that as well, 
My blood pressure was life-threatening. The doctor said you could drop down dead. Still, he didn't ask about my diet or lifestyle. Uh, my cholesterol was nine. Uh, I had acid reflux where I would literally, like the exorcist, vomit out acid with no warning. Uh, it would just come out. Wow. Um, you know, everything was going bandy in my life. And I was 20 stone as well. I got up to 20 stone in weight. And when I was, you know, in my 20s, I was 13 stone. So I was a lump of a man. After three months, I went back to doctor, said I'm not working. And he said, oh, well, we'll try a higher dose then. Not, well, let's look at your lifestyle then. Whacked it up to 100 milligrams of sertraline. That Friday, I had a big argument in doors, Easter, Friday, Good Friday. And I had a weird thing of always heading for the sea, like just as a retreat. Where am I going? Oh, I'm going to the sea. Like I'm mm. just going to go down there. I found it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. went down there was on the pier at half past nine drinking the bar was open on the pier no nowhere else well i didn't think so at the time right and i remember she said um oh it's a minimum card spend of 12.50 so i said oh i'll have three pints of peroni then and sat there on my own on the pier with little kiddies playing on the pier and whatnot whereabouts was this eastbourne right so i'm on the pier with three pints of peronis and some nuts and then after that, I thought, well, I'm going to find a pub. And there was a pub there, a Witherspoons one. And it was actually quite hot for Good Friday. There. It was April in 2018. And I just sat there, and there was a bloke next to me. He had a bottle of wine hidden under his chair. We become best mates in 10 minutes. Uh, and it, every time I went to the bar, he would look after my little seat because it was in the sun. So for me, it was like being on holiday. Yeah. That day, I must have had. 18 pints of Stella from like, including the Peronis, 18 pints, say. And then about half 10, there was about 10 of us, all fake friends around me. Like, I'm the best thing since the armor. Yeah. Like from South London, a few stories and whatnot. I thought, you know what? I'm pissed off with this now. I, I want to sit on the beach and look at the sky. It was stars in the sky. So I went to the co-op. I don't know how they served me. And I bought a litre of vodka. Bearing in mind, I'd just done a runner from the house and gone down there. I had this light little jacket on, mm. and I've gone to the beach and sat on the beach. I'm looking at the sky, drinking neat vodka out of a bottle. Next thing I've woken up, two in the morning, all my face is cut, 
because I've obviously fallen over into the stones. Absolutely freezing. Like, I mean, like hyperthermia-type freezing. I was yeah. shaking with cold. And I tried to find where I put my van so I could just get in the back of the van for a little bit of warmth. And I was I was falling into walls. I, I, and I, I remember it must have been three or four in the morning or whether that day or another day, they all blurred into one. But this girl got out of her taxi, looked at me and said, you fucking loser, like that. Wow. Because I was just leaning up against a wall and and I looked terrible, you know. And I was like, this time last week, I was in Chelsea measuring up a £5 million flat for carpet in Cadogan Gardens. And now I'm leaning up against a wall, paralytic, like with all my face cut open. Like she could have said, are you right, mate? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, quite. But anyway, like that went on for four days. And I remember on the fourth day, I thought, I can't do this any longer. I'm Mm. I'm going to either be murdered mugged or die like from and i remember driving home and it sounds awful but i was all over the place driving home i hadn't been drinking in the morning but yeah it was a top up and i got home and i had to go back to the doctors and they you never see the same one well you don't even see one these days do you that's yeah. the irony of it right but it was someone else and i was in there for nearly an hour and you know these days it's like however many minutes you get i was in there nearly i think they realized they've messed up Right, and I still didn't give up. I still had two or three days of feeling absolutely horrendous, and I still carried on after that. And that was in April, right? And it went through the year. My mum got ill. Uh, she had a fall, ended up in hospital, and then, bless her soul, she ended up dying in October. Uh, and I was with her when she died. I was holding her hand, and um, that was quite traumatic in itself, you know. And I remember at the funeral, her husband, not my dad, um, her husband had arranged for, like, um, after the funeral to be tea, tea and cake. Right. And I've gone, fuck that, and put my card behind the bar. I got mm. absolutely slaughtered. I was drinking people's dregs. I was like an animal that mm. day. Like the scene from Snatch when the when the caravan was alight, you know, and he just mm. went absolutely crazy. And that went on Christmas. I saw a picture of myself at Christmas. And I, I looked like just Mr. Blobby. I just looked so ill, like my face was all blotchy and swollen. I was 20 stones, I say, and I went through New Year drunk again. And then I was 54 then. And one day, it was the 7th of January, 2019, a, a really good friend of mine. And when I say good friend, I mean one of those friends that looks out for you, you know? Yeah. Text me and said, Dave, how do you feel about joining me for three months to, to stop the booze, just to see how we go on with it? Mm. And I, I lo- looked at the phone, mate, and I was like, are you serious? I thought you was a mate. You don't, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, Yeah. If you knew me, I can't give up for three days, let alone. Mm. But what happened, Sam, was I think over the past few months, I kept questioning, like, what, who do I want to be in my life? What do I want to do? In my, I'm just chucking my life away. I barely remember my 40s because I was constantly in blackout mode. And 
I started to get the flavor, like something happened that day. I started to visualize what I would be like in three months. Like how would my mental health be? How would my physical health be? My, my job, relationships around me, friends, you know, my positivity. I was really negative and down mm. with the world, you know. And I remember feeling something really different that day, feeling almost like a feeling of excitement. And I texted him in the afternoon. I remember pulling over in this um, petrol station in Wimbledon and I pulled over in there and I texted him, hi, mate, thought about what you said. Are you in tonight? Now, this is a bloke who's never, ever in. Like He's always yeah. doing something. And he said, I absolutely am. Come and see me. And I drove up, knocked on his door. His wife opened the door, walked in. He was just standing there like the Messiah. And... I said, you all right, mate? He said, yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I said, I've been thinking about what you said to me today. He went, go on. I said, let's do it. And I shook his hand and that was it. I've never drank since. Wow. And that was five years ago. And it was like a door was opened by the universe somehow and it had like a 12-hour window for me to go through it. And do you know what the irony is, mate? If he said he wasn't going to be in that night, I pretty much think I'd have drank. Yeah. And there was football on that night as well. Because my neighbour yeah. says, oh, England are playing. Do you, want a, do you want a beer? And I said, I don't drink anymore. I, I, I kind of committed straight away. But the, the deal was three months. Yeah. But I kind of knew in my head that if I had to do it, I'd give it up. And I went six weeks uh, and we we were he was doing a London to Paris bike ride thing, and I, I said to him, "Oh, I'll do it with you." And he probably looked at me and thought, "You, you fat." <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I looked so unhealthy and so unwell. But every yeah. morning I got up, and we went in his garage, had two turbo trainers, the rolling road things, yeah, and we got on that for an hour every morning at six o'clock. And I start to lose a bit of weight, and I start to feel a little bit more positive. And I remember walking my dog over onto a common and I saw the pub that I would normally be in mm. where I'd have four or five beers, go to Londis, get three bottles of wine, drink one on the way home in the park and take two home. I thought, where am I going to be this time in six weeks? Back in there doing the same old thing. So yeah. I turned left with my dog and I thought, right, that's it. I'm done. Um, and I created my social media page. And I started sort of um, commenting on on there about how it was for me and the changes in my mental health and and positivity and how how I start to sleep better and start to feel a little bit more upbeat about life rather than always looking down at the floor. Mm. Uh, and I, honestly, mate, the reaction I got because I'm quite a what you see is what you get sort of bloke, and also of a certain age. Um, and also like someone like normal, like a, a builder yeah. type bloke yeah. who's who's telling his story. And people started to ask me, how are you doing it? How do you feel? What, what are you finding out about it and stuff? So I used to start posting and that's how it all began, mate. And it encouraged me because people coming to me made me feel a sense of purpose as well because I felt a like piece of shit for years. Mm. I used to look in the mirror and you know all this anyway, look in the mirror and, and literally hate myself and talk to myself in the mirror and say, look at you, you piece of shit. Mm. Why don't you just finish it now and go and die? And, you know, and 
I mean, talk about low self-esteem and lack of self-worth, you know. And the, one of the quickest things I found, and you might agree with this, was my anxiety levels started to get better almost immediately. I stopped drinking and I didn't have that horrible nervous feeling in the morning and I could handle work a little bit more. Things, mate, like like knocking on people's doors, knowing I looked quite fresh and I didn't stink of booze was such yeah. a win for me because mm. I could never look them in the eye. I'd look away and I'd think if they – I'd have about three packets of airwaves and extra mints in the yeah. van and knock on the door when they've paid thousands of pounds to have their house done in carpet. And I, there's an old tramp, like, stinking <laughs> of booze. Yeah. Yeah, and it was little things like that that were big wins for me. Oh, the, 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 being able to be honest, it actually gets some getting used to. Where you keep catching yourself in those sort of early months where you don't have to tell a lie, or yeah. you, you can just be completely who you are. And if someone asks where you are, you 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 feel yourself about to tell a lie, and then you realize, oh, I don't have to. Yeah, because suddenly, for the first time in years, you are who you say you are. You're not trying to hide anything about yourself, are you? And that's like I remember that being quite a strange feeling because you've yeah. got so used to like basically bullshitting or hiding things. It's really, really but it's very refreshing, isn't it? Hundred percent. And and you know, even six months later, I was finding bottles in places mm. that I didn't and forgot them. And it's like I always equate it. When when it gets to that kind of relationship with alcohol where you begin to hide it, it's like an affair. It's like you're having an affair, mm. right? Totally. And you're always looking over your shoulder. And you there's always skullduggery going on. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. like the planning and uh, I would wake up on a Sunday morning and my then wife, we're divorced now, but she she gave up messaging me on WhatsApp in the end. She would email me. Right, because in case I was awake and I'd react, and I was never violent, but I was shitty, you know, I was argumentative and that. And I'd wake up to an email and it would list all the things I've said and all the things that I've done the night before, and I couldn't remember any of them. Like Mm. literally a complete blank. Instead of me feeling mortified and thinking, Oh God, I've got to make amends, all I was thinking, Oh shit, how am I gonna like drink today now because I've had this but I I would still manage it I would still somehow wangle it in there by making a lovely Sunday roast with lamb and you know like all the trimmings and so I could start having a beer when I'm peeling the potatoes at midday you know what I mean and it was like all this skullduggery and, and I think when I stopped drinking it was the biggest breath of fresh air for me to to feel relieved I don't have to do that. And it's, mm. you know, that's why I kind of relate it to the love affair thing. Is yeah, because- the lengths you go to to sort of facilitate the drinking in all sorts of ways. I mean, that is bang on. Sundays, I used to do that for the family. But mm. I would go, I'd go, right, I've got to go to shop. I'm going to make a big roast. So I'm going out to shop. First of all, I'd head to the pub, get a few drinks inside me, combine going to shop with that, then come back from the shop with all sorts of beers and wine as well as the food because you sort of think it doesn't count if you're cooking a big meal for the family yeah. to keep drinking yeah. all the way through. But like things like that just become second nature. And it's only once you're sober, do you look back and think, fucking hell, that everything I did was built around creating Ooh. opportunities to I drink. Know. You know, the, the thing for me, Sam, was how much it would cost me to cook that yeah. Sunday roast, because she would yeah. say, 
um, oh, I'm going shopping, knowing that she probably would get one bottle of wine. Mm. And I thought, I can't handle that. I'd rather have nothing. So I used to buy all the shopping so I could come back with a case of Stella because we quite often had people coming over because I would invite them over so it would justify my drinking. Yes. Oh, well, we got all these coming over today, so let's get some extra booze in and whatever. And they would piddle along with either no wine or a cheap bottle of leaf or milk. But I, I, I would know that I've got my amount in. Yeah. You know, so I could not worry about what I was drinking. Yeah. And quite often I go around trying to top people's glasses up and they put their hand over the glass and they go, no, I'm all right. I'm what are you doing? Trying to get me drunk. No, yeah. I'm trying to justify me getting drunk. Yeah. totally. You know? And then by totally. six o'clock I'm in bed snoring. Mm. I've, the amount of times that's happened where I've just slivered off to bed because I'm so drunk. And I look back at that now and it's like, I cannot believe I was that version of myself compared to now. You know, everything has changed in my life now um, in that five years, everything. Change of career, like my mental health, honestly. When I say about um, all my tablets, so all the different medications, Mm. I'm on none now. Wow. I was on five medications. You know, I'm not on antidepressants. I don't need them. I'm I'm having a good life. It took me a while to wean myself off. I never encourage people to just stop. So I wean myself off, but I don't get acid reflux. My cholesterol's down to five from nine. Yeah. My blood pressure is 124 over 82, mm. you know, and I'm knocking on a bit now. I've lost two and a half stone. Um, and guess what, mate? I have climbed a couple of mountains, but... I, I never say that you don't need to be giving up drinking and jumping out of planes, climbing mountains. I did that for my own benefit because all I've ever done is go on holiday places like bloody Benidorm and causing yeah. that on lads' yeah. piss-up holidays. You know what I mean? So yeah. I went to Morocco last year and I loved it so much. I ended up going to Nepal and I did that. But I'm hanging my climbing boots up, mate, because that, that was hard work. Right. So... But the amount of opportunities that open up to you that and what's ironic is, is that you still see people who think one of the main things people and I know you coach people, you're a sober coach. And so you must hear this when people are still yet to start their recovery is that people still associate it with this word boredom. And I'm like, oh, it'd be boring. And I know that's what I thought. And I'm sure that's what you thought. You kept, you know, I just kept thinking, well. That's just fucking boring. And I would look at people who didn't drink, like you're describing people who come over for dinner and not want a second glass of wine. And I'd think, that's fucking boring people. What do they do? And I'd think things like, ah, they're bloody wasting their life being yeah, boring. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't man. occur to you that the reverse is true. Yeah, it's but you have to get reverse. through it. And you think, think of all the fun that you that not only your mind is open to, you've got the time and crucially the energy and enthusiasm to do. But then like but the booze in life is so limiting. Because you've only got one way of having fun. You've only got you get it's really unimaginative. You've got one idea to have fun, and that is to pour a liquid inside of you to make fun. And it doesn't really matter where you are. You could be on holiday or you could be in your own flat like you were. You know, you're gonna feel the same either way, basically. You just want that feeling. And it's so limiting, isn't it? It's limiting, mate. But I think at the time for me, I didn't really know any better because I've been doing it from 14 years old. And you know, Gabor Mate says, not why the addiction, why the pain. And yeah. I realized that, you know, my first wife, 
um, was unfaithful to me. I was quite young when I got married, probably a rebound off my mum leaving and that, my dad meeting someone. I, I got married yeah. quite young and that went bandy in my 20s. And I, and my mum leaving and stuff, I think I was numbing out a lot and it become a coping mechanism for a lot of years. And when I stopped drinking, I realised that I couldn't do that bit on my own. So... I got help with that. I got a therapist mm. and he was brilliant. I got of him straight away. And he was a, what you see is what you get kind of person. And he challenged me on a few things. Um, and, you know, together we, we kind of broke it all down and put it back together differently. Uh, and then I trained to be a counselor as well for two years. And um, that's what kind of led me on to doing what I'm doing now. And I'm retraining to do something else now, um, mm. which is exciting. Um, so it's an endless road adventure, I call it, of when I was 54 and when I say I was looking down at my shoes, it's because I was down on my luck with everything. I had no money. My relationship was going bandy. My health was out the window. And I looked to myself, thought, is this it then? Like after a whole life of working and is this what I'm left with, this shit? And I realized that, all I had to do was remove one thing to, mm. to change everything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And what you say is fascinating about it's quite often the reverse, which is true, because I was so narrow-minded. Like, I hear people say it to sober people now, and that I think, well, I have a bit of compassion because I think, well, that's what I was like. Yeah. Because I realise now that we're just holding a mirror up to them because they don't understand it. And that that's how it was for me. I didn't understand there was another option in my life other than what I was doing. And there's also a part I didn't want to stop doing what I was doing because it numbed the pain yeah. and I, I couldn't handle life without it. And that's a lot of the problem people have now is 
they don't put something in place when they stop drinking. And you, so you can't just rack the days up and white knuckle it because it's a shallow existence. You've got to fill the void with things, you know, yeah. and that could be re-education, could be joining a community. And there's loads of them around, like, like challenging yourself outside your comfort zone, going to live gigs and listening to the music without drinking. Initially, yeah. you might think, oh, my God, once you do it, it's a completely different level, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, that's one of the main things I've done is live music without being pissed was something I think I had zero experience of at all and going to football. Yeah. Uh, two two things that I've been doing my whole life, and I think certainly with music, I'd never been sober in my life. First gig I went to was when I was 16 and we got pissed and I just associated it with going out and getting pissed. Now my favourite thing to do is to go to a gig and you're stone cold sober and you you absorb this incredible experience yeah and you almost feel guilty about the amount of nights you missed out on because yeah. you, you instead of of watching these these artists and and experiencing it you would just experience being pissed it's like christmas day the thing of being pissed is exactly the same wherever you are and whatever you're doing you know so it just i, I look back and i think fucking hell i had some really great experiences that i pissed up the wall yeah well you say that I went to see Eric Clapton at Wembley, mm. and he was singing "Tears from Heaven" because you know about his kid that died. And yeah, I was so pissed, I couldn't find where I was sitting or standing, and I was just standing there looking at the big screen with him on it, totally oblivious to any of the emotion around it. I was just like, "Fucking hell, where am I sitting?" Like I missed all of it because I was so yeah. pissed. Simple yeah. minds. I went to see Queen, like Queen. I mean, what a gig that was. Yeah. And and it was an all-day thing. It had Simple Minds, um, the Alarm in Excess, which were a great band, and Queen come on at the end. I was off my tree. Mm. Like, but now, last year, I spoke at Latitude. I mean, what a gig that yeah, was for me. Amazing. And then I saw Pulp, you know, yeah. which were a great band to see, you know. And it was like... What an experience. Like you get to appreciate everything when you don't drink yeah. because you're aware of everything, you know, and there's no one that can tell me anything about it now. Like the benefits of drinking, like, cause I always have an answer for them back of, of why it's the best thing we can do. Yeah. You know, and I'm a real advocate for living your best life now. And, you know, I'm knocking on a bit now and it's like, I've got to start thinking about what do I want the next 10 years of my life to look like? Do I mm. want to be slumped over in a piss ridden trousers on a sofa at home on my own? Or do I want to be out there speaking in front of people at latitude and going on, you know, mm. to do, I'm going out to Spain in Madrid in September to do a talk, uh, you know, that yeah. things like that is just loving life because I've taken that out and yeah, it's not easy but with the right support and the right um, community around you. And I educated myself as well, reading about the science behind it. It it just helped me to see it for what it is. And I am here today, mate, talking to you. And you're, what, nine years sober? Yeah, nearly. Yeah, nine well done, years mate. in June. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Um, well, there's so much overlap in our experiences, and you're really inspirational person to to listen to mate and the work you're doing is incredible um what's what's the what's the bit of advice you give to people who are still not quite there yet but are thinking about it and aren't sure 
I think be open-minded about it. I think setting a goal is a really good plan, right? So a lot of people do dry January and they fall off in February. Mm. For me, explore the idea of it, right? You can set your boundaries around it, like with your social events, because there's always something coming up in there that puts you off. There's always a, a lad's night out or a birthday or something coming up. So say, do you know what? I'm going to give myself a month off booze. And in that month, I'm going to listen to some podcasts and I'm going to read some books and I'm going to get back into my exercise and I'm going to start to eat properly, you know, like takeaways Mm. and stuff. And I want to see where I can be at the end of it, how I will feel and treat it like a bit of an experiment on yourself. Surely you deserve that. Mm. And at the end of the 30 days, you can reassess it and go, do you know what? I'm going to carry on for another week or another two weeks and whatnot and just go with it rather than go, that's it, I'm done, because that can feel too hard sometimes. And I think that's a real act of self-love to be able to do that to yourself and, and give yourself an opportunity to see what it feels like to take that out of your life, you know? And I guarantee you after a month or, or a few weeks, you will feel like a different person and then you can overcome it with your mates say, do you know what? I'm carrying on because I feel fucking great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, just before I let you go, I'll, I'll tell you one of the most powerful things you've said is when you, the moment in which after your mate had made the suggestion to you, you started to just think about who you might be. And yeah. I think that's really powerful because you started to think about it in a way that wasn't negative. And I'd, yeah. I, I think that I'd always just assumed that me without booze was a different person and someone who'd probably have less fun and be less happy and less relaxed, right? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, when I started to think, well, maybe there's a different version and and you start to do like a positive version in your head of who you might be and you think of things like just some very basic things like I would be slimmer, right? Um but you think of all the energy and the different fucking hobbies that you've always wanted to do but couldn't, or the amount of extra things you can get done in your career or yeah. whatever it is. It's um, it's really nice. Some people dwell a lot on how negative they are when they're drinking. So you're saying, oh, yeah, I was looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, what a piece of shit. But that's tough too because I spent many years thinking that about myself, and that made me drink more because if you're being self-critical, you just – that gets you really down. You feel like shit. And then the best way of getting rid of those really depressing thoughts and feelings is to get another drink inside you. And so the cycle continues. And I think when you said that you started something happened that day that put a thought in your head that I think for a lot of people is rare, like what's a positive version of me Mm. that I could look like in just a few months from now, if I stopped and, um, yeah, I really related to that because I think something planted that seed in my head as well. And I think that was a turning point in my mind at the same time. So I think what you said as well, if people are sitting on the fence, right, that means that already worrying about their relationship with both, yes. right? Yeah. Because you don't go from A to B. You, you There are crossovers, right? So for me, it was a few months before that when – bottles were being found and I couldn't remember putting them there. And, you know, the acid reflux vomiting and stuff is like, I started to question it. And and so if anyone's listening to this, they're beginning to question it. 
And that doesn't mean that you'd be drinking every single night, getting drunk. You know, it could be binging at the weekend. You could be going two or three weeks, but then having binging. Yeah. If it's a problem in your life, then maybe it's time to start exploring the idea of taking a break and doing it bit by bit rather than in one foul swoop and coming out of the closet and going, hi, I'm sober. It's mm. like, just just do it your way. We're all different, right? We all might have, you and me could drink the same amount, but your life is different from mine. Mm. So the way you do it will be different from how I would do it. And, you know, I, I, I just think being open to the idea then gives you the opportunity to see what it's like after that period of time. And then, there was a film that I, I watched years ago called Click, and it always sticks in my mind. I think it was Adam Sandler and he had yeah. remote control. Yeah. And that's what I kind of visualised for me. It's like, if I won my life for, forward three months, what would I look like? And that excited me because mm. no doubt it would be better than what it was where I was mm. then. And that's what did it for me was like, it will not be any worse than it is now. It's going to be benefits 100% and that's what excited me and that's what kind of get me going so you're right there mate visualise a different version than what you're capable of without the booze because it holds you back in every area in your life and you're proof of that hopefully I'm proof of that and you know on my podcast I interview guests I've done over 100 now and mm. they all say the same you never get a sober person regret saying they're sober do you no, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. Well, listen, I'll put links to your podcast and all the other fantastic work you're doing uh, for this community and so many people. Um, they'll go alongside this episode. Your story's amazing. You speak about it beautifully. You're an inspirational uh, person. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Bless you, Sam. Appreciate you asking me, mate. Thank you. All the best. That was Dave Wilson, a.k.a. Dave the Carpet, a.k.a. Sober Dave a brilliant talker with an inspirational story of turning his life around in middle age when some men might be ready to just give up on themselves. I think Dave shows us it's never too late. You can find links to his website and his podcast in the show notes. Thanks as always for listening, gang. If you don't already, please subscribe to The Reset at samdelaney.substack.com and give me a follow at The Reset Sam on Instagram. Until next week, thanks for listening. Be lucky. And don't let the dickheads get you down. <laughs>